Illiterate Caveman Episode 9, The Logic of Failure. Welcome to the Literate Caveman Podcast. This podcast offers reviews of excellent books that you may not be familiar with, as well as addressing the topic of mindset in general. I'm your host, Chad Blake, and today we are going to continue our review of The Logic of Failure by Dietrich Dorner. Dorner begins Chapter 3 of the book with the question, Why do people set goals? The simple answer is because otherwise, no one would do anything. From the simplest daily tasks to the more complex problems this book focuses on, either attaining a desired result or avoiding a less desirable result is the motivation. Goals, therefore, are an important step in problem solving. Even in organizing a workday, I have found personally that I get much more done, not just on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, If I begin each workday with a short list of specific things I want to work on that day. As a business owner, there is always, at all times, something I can work on. But I can't work on everything at once. When I prioritize with a short list, maybe I should say a short specific list, what I need to do each day, it helps me keep focused and not get so distracted and feeling like I'm chasing fires to put out constantly. I have talked about this elsewhere, but when I am putting my list together, it is practical. I don't include every single thing I can think of. Returning to the text, the author says that the root of our goals lies in our desires. I like the way he phrases this. He states that our desires are the beacons of our actions. They tell us which way to go. From here, the text explores some of the pitfalls and difficulties that can interfere with successful goal setting. Dorner reminds us, that there are two broad categories of goal we need to be aware of. Positive goals, which we set to achieve a desirable state of affairs, and negative goals, to correct or avoid a deficient state of affairs. At this point, it is worth cautioning that just because something seems simple or obvious, or, as Dorner puts it, academic, we should not dismiss it out of hand. I have seen people do this with a wide range of subjects over the years. Life is made of simple things that add up into complex situations and systems. We have to work with the simple to get what we want out of the complex. In the case of goal setting, and understanding the distinction between positive goals and negative goals, what Dorner has drawn from his research is that negative goals are too vague to be useful. Quoting from the text, he tells us, With a negative goal, what it is I actually want is less clearly defined, than with a positive goal. He goes on to say that while it is possible for a positive goal to be vaguely defined, it is inherent in the nature of negative goals to be vaguely defined, and thus less useful. He quotes George Christoph Littenberg to support this point. Whether things will be better if they are different, I do not know. But that they will have to be different if they are to become better, that I do know. End quote. From here, the author tells us it is also useful to distinguish between general and specific goals. Somewhat surprisingly, he tells us that a general goal is defined by a single criteria or by a small number of criteria, where a specific goal will be defined by many criteria and can be described and conceptualized very precisely. Once again, he uses chess as an example. A general goal in chess is to checkmate your opponent's king. Because there are many strategies for achieving a checkmate, simply saying that a checkmate is the goal is vague, 
and thus a general goal. After this example, he says it is important to distinguish the difference between a general goal and a goal that is unclear. I found it interesting what can qualify as an unclear goal. Some of the statements he provides as examples at the first read seem straightforward enough, but as he continues to explain, his point makes sense. A couple of examples from the text of unclear goals are, I want to make my room more comfortable, and we have to make the city more hospitable to pedestrians. Quoting from the text, Dorner states, The comparatives suggest that the speaker does not know precisely what the desired state of affairs should be. All he knows is that it should be different from the present state. End quote. Within the lack of clarity of these examples, Dorner tells us it reveals that there are actually multiple goals, not single goals. Making a room more comfortable could involve replacing the furniture, improving the lighting, improving the insulation or the heating and cooling apparatus, even changing the flooring. I am sure you can think of several things that could be done to make a city more hospitable to pedestrians. And that list could have quite a bit of variance from one city or town to another. One of the challenges this brings is that satisfying multiple goals are not only more complicated, it brings into the mix the fact that multiple goals may not be linked to each other. Dorner explains that multiple goals can be 1. Positively linked, or 2. Negatively linked, or 3. Not linked at all. Further, the interdependence of variables may be directly dependent or have no direct connection. He gives several examples of how goals can be linked or not linked, the main point being we need to understand the links among goal criteria. He reminds us that in complex situations we cannot do only one thing, and if, intentionally or otherwise, if we only pursue one goal, we may create new problems. Dorner does not suggest that identifying implicit goals is easy, but when we can do it, it can prevent a great deal of frustration and even failure. So to recap this, we have explicit goals, goals we are aware of and that draw our focus and energy, and implicit goals, goals we may not be aware of unless we think things through and understand the complexities of what we are dealing with. Quoting from the text, Dorner tells us, People's actions are driven by an excessive or exclusive preoccupation with explicit goals, and this accounts for a great deal of bad planning and counterproductive behavior, end quote. He goes on to say that people have a tendency to concern themselves with problems they have, not the ones they don't have yet. I do not believe he is saying this is unreasonable or irresponsible behavior. He is just explaining what he has observed. He summarizes this section before moving on, so I'll recap it before we get into the next section. In five different categories, he tells us that goals may be either 1. Positive or negative, 2. General or specific, 3. Clear or unclear, 4. Simple or multiple, 5. Explicit, which again means that we are aware of them and we are intentionally trying to solve them, or implicit, meaning while related to our primary goal, they might not be identified or they can be overlooked until they have caused more problems. After this recap, the author explains that it is possible for goals to change their category. An unclear goal can be clarified into several clear goals, or an implicit goal may become explicit once it is identified. He also says that when possible, 
we should convert negative goals into positive goals. He reminds us that negative goals tend to be unclear and are inadequate as guideposts for planning and action. There is an interesting section following this where the author advises us that while we would do better in our goal setting and execution if we understand these principles, we want to caution against setting goals too specific early in our process and being rigid about evaluating or redefining our goals. Using chess as an example again, he says that if at the beginning of a match we decide where we want the opponent's king to be on the board and where we want our, our own queen to be at the end, specifying which of our pieces will be protecting our queen and which place on the board they will occupy, while this is very specific, it would be foolish to adopt early in a game. We have to remember that we do not shape the game alone, and, as he states in the text, there is always an opponent. I really like this next quote from the text. He says, A player must be ready to seize opportunities as they emerge. And a rigid definition of final goals too early in the game can blind us and limit our flexibility. You can apply that quote to a wide range of subjects and substitute player for worker, parent, spouse, business owner, etc. It might seem a little strange that after encouraging his readers to set goals and laying out specifics about good and less desirable ways to do this, he cautions against getting too specific too soon. This leads to him asking the question, is it better not to translate general goals into specific ones? His answer is interesting, and hang in there, because after this he introduces some helpful info. Obviously, I think this is all helpful information, but it, it is dense, and it's not the uh, easiest subject. His answer to his own question is no. Quoting from the text, If particular actions are not informed by an overall conception, behavior will respond only to the demands of the moment. And here, he introduces what he calls efficiency diversity. According to Dorner, efficiency diversity means we can identify many different possibilities that have a high probability of success. Quoting from the text, he tells us, we can pursue situations of efficiency diversity even when we cannot specify our final goal. Explaining this, he emphasizes that even a general goal is better than an unclear goal. Part of the reason for this being that unclear goals often contain multiple implicit goals within them. Now, at this point, I think there can be a tendency to say, this is really complicated, I do not want to deal with this, but that is the point of this book. Complex systems are complicated, with many moving, interrelated components that affect each other, often in ways that are not obvious. Dorner advises that if we want to dispel the unclarity inherent in these complex concepts, we must deconstruct them. We have to take them apart and isolate what we mean in detail when we talk about comfort, improving usability, or what have you. Learning to do this, on the one hand, brings clarity but it also identifies difficulties, because we discover that whatever we are dealing with may have no single center, but involves many interacting problems. Quoting from the text, We are not dealing with one problem at all, but with a bundle of problems that may be hopelessly ensnarled. Solving one problem may well aggravate another. By labeling a bundle of problems with a single label, we make dealing with that problem easier, provided we are not interested in solving it, end quote. 
I think that is a very useful quote, especially that last part. He goes on to advise that while a simple label will not make a complex problem go away, it can obscure the complexity of the problem and cause people to lose sight of what steps need to be taken. So we have learned that unclear goals lead to more problems than solutions. At the same time, converting an unclear goal into a clear goal reveals many partial problems. Either way, there are more problems than were first apparent. The difference is in identifying the smaller related problems, we can plan how to deal with them, instead of reacting to them as they crop up on their own, or worse, trying to repair damage caused by missing them. Quoting again from the text, he says, There are many ways of tackling multiple problems, but the one thing we usually cannot do is solve all the problems at once. We need to find a way to organize a list of problems. So after making our unclear goal a clear goal, revealing some of the smaller challenges, some possibilities he suggests are, number one, study our list of problems to determine interdependencies. Sometimes when we examine a bundle of problems, we will discover a central problem that is causing other issues. Focusing on central problems first will be more efficient than running around trying to solve every little problem. Number two, if it is not possible to identify a central problem, we can rank our problems in terms of important and urgency. He asks if it is better, by a certain time, to solve an issue that is important but not urgent, or something that is urgent but not so important. When we are pressed for time, it is easy to lose sight of the difference between important and urgent, and focus, or react, to problems that present urgency, but are not necessarily that important. 3. The final suggestion he has is delegation, with some strict qualifiers. Dorner makes a clear distinction between true delegation and what he calls dumping. Delegation only works if the problems delegated are independent enough of other problems that they can be handled in isolation. When delegation is done properly, we are asking someone else to do detailed work for us, but we remain conscious of the problem and its role in the overall project. Importantly, we stay in touch with the problem. I suspect that a lot of delegation that happens is actually what Dorner calls dumping, which he says, once the problem is handed over, it is forgotten about. I have also observed that some people will dump problems or tasks onto others under the label of delegation so that if something goes wrong, the person to absorb the fault is the one who was assigned the task. From here, Dorner advises that while ranking problems and delegation can be good strategies, they do not address the fact that individual partial goals may be incompatible. He reminds us that solving only one goal can make another one worse. He presents three options for conflicting goals. Number one, seek a balance between the two, which will likely result in less than ideal solutions. Number two, choose to solve only one problem and abandon the other. The third option he gives is to reshape the system involved to remove the negative relationship between the goals. The example he provides is of college programs that require athletes to have a certain grade point average in order to play. The two problems of academic performance and athletic performance traditionally have a negative relationship. Linking them positively 
eliminates that issue. You might think yes, but it causes other issues, and I am sure the author would agree. But as he has already told us, when we solve one problem, it tends to cause other problems. Now he brings us back to implicit goals, warning that the danger of implicit goals is they tend to go unnoticed in the early stages of a planning process. As an example, he uses the chemical DDT, a subject I have written about elsewhere and talked about on some videos I have done. DDT was first formulated in 1874. In 1939, a Swiss chemist named Paul Hermann Müller discovered DDT was an effective pesticide. It was widely used all over the globe until the 1960s, and finally getting banned in many countries in the 1970s, although I think it is still in use today in some countries. While DDT was initially very effective, it introduced other problems. DDT is a very stable compound. So once it is in the environment, it does not readily disperse. I have read in other subjects that 15 and 20 years after DDT was banned in the U.S., they were still finding it in rivers and streams. And it's one of those substances that when it gets in tissue, it accumulates. It doesn't just, it takes the body a long time to detoxify it. It also seems to act as an artificial estrogen, binding with estrogen receptors and causing massive ecological problems. In the case of the American bald eagle, the accumulation of DDT not only drove down the sex drive of the eagle population, resulting in less mating, it also caused issues with the female eagle's ability to absorb calcium, resulting in the eggs they did lay being too thin and not strong enough to support the weight of a nesting mother. Dorner asks the question, why did no one anticipate these new problems? He suggests that merely saying, because we did not know enough, is not sufficient. The issue is that no one takes the trouble to acquire the necessary knowledge. When faced with a problem, we have a natural tendency to not think of problems that do not exist yet. This is not ill will or egoism, he asserts, but it is consistent human behavior. This reminds me of a Thomas Sell quote that I really like. There are no solutions, only trade-offs. Dorner suggests that the way to avoid this is to keep in mind the features of a current situation that we wish to retain. While that sounds simple, he admits it does not seem to be human nature. His next statement is very interesting. Quoting from the text, Advocates of progress often have too low an opinion of what already exists. When we set out to change things, in other words, we don't pay enough attention to what we want to leave unchanged. End quote. He advises that the only hope we have of preventing the solution of each problem from causing new problems is in understanding what needs to be retained. This is essential in making implicit goals explicit. So in today's episode, we have discussed goals and requirements for setting and managing them. Next week, we will explore some examples from the text of real people dealing with goals. This concludes today's episode of The Literate Caveman, and in case you missed it, we are reviewing The Logic of Failure by Dietrich Dorner. Thank you for listening. Go read a book.